Hi, I'm Howard Tierski. Welcome to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast, where we focus on the stories of large-scale digital transformations told by the people who lead them. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Winning Digital Customers Podcast. Fantastic guest today, friend of mine, Bernie Weiss. Bernie is the president of iHeartMedia New York which is, of course, the largest U.S. radio network. He oversees iHeartMedia's New York radio brands, including Z100, Light FM, Power 105.1, and Q104.3, as well as iHeartRadio Broadway. So I would guess that no matter what genre of music you like to listen to, you probably listen to one of those stations. I listen to several of those. Very interesting background. He grew up in Austria, and he built, actually, earlier in his career, one of Central Europe's largest commercial radio networks, and of course now is with, as I say, the number one audio company. I'm so happy to have Bernie here because audio is such an interesting space relative to digital. I mean, one might have thought as digital video became so big that you know audio is going to become less and less and less important, but really it hasn't happened. And with things like the growth of podcasting, audio formats are more relevant than they ever have been. And there's also some interesting advantages of them that I know Bernie can talk to us about as well. So whatever you do in digital, if you're not thinking about and talking about the role of audio as a media component in our digital ecosystem today, it's super, super important. So I'm super excited to have Bernie here. I want to really thank you for joining us as well. I'll give you the opportunity to share anything else about yourself that you feel folks should know. Thanks for having me, Howard. Uh, great to be here. Congrats on the book, by the way. Uh, I read it. Cover to cover. Nice. Uh, can highly recommend it. In fact, did recommend it to several people already. Wonderful. Thank um, you. But yeah, so I'm uh, I'm with iHeart in New York. I'm overseeing uh, the New York stations, New York brands. I've been in broadcasting for a long time. Like you mentioned, I started in Europe. A very interesting position at that point. We built a, a network of radio stations there and uh, worked with many American consultants at that point. And that's how I ultimately ended up in the U.S., of course, at that point, nobody here cared about my experience in Europe. So I had to start all the way at the bottom as a junior salesperson selling really almost door to door uh, in the Bronx and in the Brooklyn. And, and it was for Power 105.1, our hip hop and R&B station. And of course, as a European, white European, you don't know any hip hop and R&B. So that was the first thing I had to learn. And then from there, rose through the sales management, different sales management positions and uh, have now been in this role for a little bit over a year. Wow. And so you've really committed your whole career to audio, which I think is so interesting in terms of your background. And I would love to get some of your insight about that and a little bit of what I said in the intro between services like Spotify and Pandora and satellite radio and terrestrial radio and, of course, podcasting. It just seems like audio is remains really huge. And I think it has some interesting characteristics that I'd love you to share. And I know we've talked about this before. I'd love you to share with this audience a little bit about what's different if you think about it, both as a content creator and a media format, as well as as an advertiser. Radio is just, you know, TV without the picture, or how should people be thinking about it? Because I'm guessing you're going to say, no, it's not that. And what is the way that we should be thinking now about audio only as a media platform? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to unpacking this over the next half hour. And by the way, the way you kind of worded and framed it at the beginning, it almost sounded like when you said audio, it's broadcast. And that's absolutely not the case anymore. Digital audio is a big part of our business and a growing part of our business. But I think at the end of the day, radio is not music. It's not news. It's not sports. Radio is companionship. So 
a company like uh, iHeartMedia is really not in, in the media business or the broadcasting business. We are in the companionship business. In fact, our mission statement is to give everyone in America a friend who is there anytime, anywhere. And I think that describes it really well. So we are this friend who you know, sits next to you in the car as you're driving to work in this empty seat or who sits on the counter while you're cooking and making dinner or brushing your teeth. These days, by the way, um, increasingly with smart speakers at home, and we should talk about that too. Uh, that's a very interesting, positive development in the audio world. So it's really those on-air personalities that, that are so important. And I think a good story, maybe to start out, is what happened when Eddie Van Halen died a couple of months ago, right? Obviously, he has tons of fans and, and, and people who are really sad about what happened. And when you look at what the different audio providers did, I think it describes really well what the space delivers right now. You had Sirius XM, satellite radio. A lot of it is actually pre-recorded, right? So they couldn't react very quickly. They eventually did a couple hours later and then switched their playlists to more Van Halen music. And then at that point, the, the personality started talking about it. So that's number one. Then you had Spotify and Pandora. They were pretty quick in putting out playlists and, and promoting Van Halen playlists pretty prominently on their platforms within maybe a couple, uh, maybe like half an hour. But then what we did, Q104.3, the New York classic rock station, I think gives a good example of what's possible. So of course, the radio personalities on a classic rock station like Q104 have been in the business for a long time, which means that at one point or many points in their career, they actually had an interaction or a conversation with Eddie Van Halen. So we did two things. Number one, within minutes, the station flipped to Van Halen-only music. That really happened almost instantly. But even more importantly, I think, was that all the personalities started talking about their personal experience with Eddie Van Halen. So Carol Miller, our evening host, was talking about how she met him in, I think, 1979, before their first show in Manhattan, and that he was a very shy guy and talked about that conversation. And so did all of our personalities. And they did that on air, but they also did that on social media. And we just pushed that out through all of our channels. And that's maybe also one of the things we should mention here is the audio space is really evolving in a sense that companionship really extends into uh, social and digital now because of all the social followers and social following that the um, on-air personalities and the radio stations and brands have these days. Yeah, really interesting. Now, coordinated response, or I should say a, a unified response to a situation like that, is that a coordinated effort at the kind of corporate level across all these stations? Or is that just kind of a natural thing that happens given the nature of the connection that the personalities have with a figure like Eddie Van Halen and the, the sort of spontaneous, agile nature of radio broadcasting? Yeah, it's, it's a mix of both. There's definitely some guidance that uh, the stations are getting. But at the end of the day, it's really what's happening in the market and really being authentic and telling the stories and their experience is really what actually happened. And, and for that, the, uh, the markets, in our case, uh, Q104, they need to have the uh, flexibility to do that. And then, you know, that companionship that we just talked about, because you mentioned podcasting, that extends into the podcast world because podcasting at the end of the day is really storytelling on steroids. And that's by far our biggest growth area at iHeart. And I would even say in the audio space in general. I want to come back to one thing you asked, I feel didn't answer it. And that's the difference between the Spotify's and Pandora's of the world and, uh, and a company like, like iHeart or even radio, maybe what most people understand on the, on the radio. Because there's a big difference. Spotify and Pandora are really playlists, music collections. 
and I'm actually a fan of Pandora and, and Spotify. I use it. I use it in moments when I want it. And those moments are usually when I want to disconnect from the world. When I, I don't want to be bothered by anything. I just want to enjoy the music. And yes, I have my playlist. And yes, I build my, my radio station with the tools and algorithms that they have. And I enjoyed it very much. But it's, it's kind of my world. The radio experience is different. That's a much more like leaning in experience. You want to join the world. You want to find out about, hey, how bad is the traffic on the LIE? What about that snowstorm coming up uh, tomorrow in the tri-state area? Even commercials, what's on offer? What are certain sales that are going on this weekend? Entertainment reports, like that's just much more engaged listening. And those are two different things. So it's, it's almost like, like in Spotify or Pandora, listening to, to one of the playlists is you're sitting at home in your room, like we used to do with our record collection, right? Once in a while, we close the door and just put one record after the other on and enjoy it. Radio is more like you're going to your favorite bar. You're going in, as you walk in, you, you see people that you know and said, hey, what's going on, guys? Let's talk, right? So that, that's kind of, I think, the difference. Doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It's just different. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think many advertisers have figured that out and then combining it in different ways. Yeah, so part of what I hear you talking about, to me, feels like kind of the classic value proposition of radio. And it sounds like some of that is still present. I mean, it, it's, it has sustained some of the characteristics that make it unique. I'm curious, what has changed? How has digital changed the world of radio? Because some of the characteristics you're describing, you probably could have said were true 25. I remember being a kid listening to Steve Dahl in Chicago, you know, on the radio. And exactly as you say, he was a personality. And that I love, by the way, that idea that you talk about, about having a real why for your company of companionship that transcends the generic categories that you're in, but really sees the role that you play in people's lives. I think that's really powerful. And more companies, I believe, need that kind of sincere idea most companies either haven't done it, or if they ever have done it, it was just an exercise they did in a workshop somewhere. But if you asked most employees, they wouldn't be connected to it. You know, it's just something academic. It sounds like that's something that's really a part of the fabric of the culture there. Yeah, I think one of the major differences maybe from 20 years ago is that there are so many other devices that you can pick up the brands and, and our content. So when we started the iHeartRadio app about 10 years ago at this point, it really was a little bit of a reaction to really Google and, and Facebook and in a sense that targetability just became more and more important in the marketing world. Radio always has and still does this advantage of scale and reach, right? But, you know, because of Google and because of Facebook, more and more of our partners and uh, advertisers had been asking about more targetability. At the same time, more and more consumers were migrating to digital and started to listen to content more uh, through st uh, streaming devices or on their desktop even back then and then mobile phones. And that's really why Bob Pittman, when he joined the company 10 years ago, that was his first major initiative. Let's get this iHeartRadio app off the ground, promote it on all of our radio stations so it can grow quickly. And it became one of the fastest growing apps um, within months, actually. And now it's up to 143 million registered users. And now because of that data that we have, because we know much more from our digital listeners, obviously, that we can use, because of that, we can offer our advertisers many different things that we were not able to offer them 10 years ago or up to 10 years ago. What's important is how also the, the listening has changed, I believe. When you just listen to, let's say, your radio at home in your room back in the day and, and maybe the car radio, maybe those were the two devices you took in the content. That has completely changed. Just think about it. You get up in the morning. It might still be your old radio in your bedroom. Then you go into the kitchen. You have a smart speaker. You might just ask the smart speaker, hey, I want to listen to the Alice Duran morning show on Z100. You do it that way. 
Maybe you jump on the train or the bus. You use the iHeartRadio app to continue to listen to the show. Then you get to work. Maybe you put the app on on your desktop. And then you drive somewhere during the day. You go back into the car, do the car radio part. So it goes back and forth. And that's one of the reasons why we are on um, on 250 platforms at this point. You you can listen to the iHeartRadio app anywhere, from your PlayStation to uh, smart speakers to uh, all different types of platforms. You know, that's so interesting. One one of the things I wanted to ask you about was COVID impact. And the first place my mind goes when I think about how would COVID have impacted your business is, oh, my God, drive time. We're all staying at home, we're working at home. And classically, one thinks of drive time as being like core to the you know broadcast radio industry. And I realize, of course, more than radio, as you, as you said. But as you describe that journey that follows someone throughout the day, it sounds like it de-emphasizes drive time as the pivotal moment of connection with those radio personalities. And of course, I would imagine the ultimate test of that must have been COVID when all of a sudden so much drive time was evaporated overnight. What did you see when that happened? Yeah, um, I'll tell you in a second. But you know what? The interesting part is in 2008, so that's already 12 years ago, Nielsen changed the way they were uh, tracking audiences and measuring audiences and ratings. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be the diary method where people actually just wrote down which stations I, I listened to that particular day. And then in 2008, they switched to um, really electronic measurement, right? So it was actually picking up a signal. So it became much more accurate. At that point, it became obvious that the old, almost, I would almost call it the myth that all the radio listening would be in morning drive, because that was what everyone thought, right? Everyone is listening to the big morning shows, and then it's just going to level off. That was completely not true, because there were way more listeners in midday and PM drive than people ever thought they would be. And they were less in morning drive. So it almost like evened out. There was still a little bit more in, in the morning, but that huge spike that everyone was always talking about wasn't really there. So 12 years ago, we already knew like this is a little bit different. Now with COVID, what happened is a few very interesting things. April and May were a little bit of outlier months because that's when people really stopped to drive. Nobody was really on the roads. And we've been very open about it. Ratings dropped at that point, not just for us, for, for everyone. But it didn't, it dropped on the broadcast signal. What increased was all the digital channels that I just mentioned on those 250 plus platforms. Uh, huge spikes through smart speakers, smart TVs, mobile phones, desktops, podcasting, which we're going to talk more in a little bit. Just people trying out additional offerings that we have and additional assets that we have. And then, you know, when the country started opening up a little bit more, what happened is people were really afraid of public transportation. Nobody wants to be on the subway. Nobody wants to be on a train. Nobody wants to be on a bus. So everyone is trying to figure out, oh, I need to be at work now uh, in many jobs. It's not like you and I always at home, but many people have to go to work, have to get to work. They figured out a way to drive to work. And we track that pretty closely and know that actually there's more cars on the road right now than there were in March. And, uh, and that helps radio listening again. There is still a group of people that is working like us, that's working from home. And what we found is that they, and I think it's not just us, everyone has been seeing that, people just sleep in a little bit longer. And that does have an effect a little bit on, on the usage of our morning drive shows. People should start to listen, to start listening a little bit later than what we're used to. But it picks up a little bit more again than in, in midday and PM drive. So has that made up for the drop in drive time that you've seen? Yeah, we are almost, we are 91% now of pre-COVID listening. So we're almost back to where we are. And that's just on the broadcast signal. So if you actually take the digital channels into account, we are absolutely back to where we were. And then the interesting part is, since we're talking about marketing here too, and what, what advertisers are doing is, 
how advertisers are pivoting and how they are using kind of that data and that information. And there's all different kinds of good examples. There are some direct response advertisers, you know, the ones that have the old like 1-800 phone numbers in there like four times in an app because they need to make the phone ring. You know, they, they shifted a little bit from morning drive into midday in terms of their media weight. So they adjusted, uh, again, based on all the analytics that we have these days, we can help them do that. There are others that we used to develop event sponsorships for because, you know, Jingle Ball and, and all those events that we are putting on didn't happen this year. So we're working hard with them to come up with plans and, and strategies to, uh, to still deliver for them, but just in a different way. So for example, Nestle Poland Springs was a big Jingle Ball sponsor last year. And at that point, one of the objectives was let's get as many Poland Spring bottles as possible into the hands of consumers on site at Jingle Ball and at the uh, Jingle Ball pre-event. Of course, that wasn't possible because Jingle Ball was virtual this year. So they completely revamped the sponsorship. They uh, had a podcast, I think it's called How to Planet. So that whole like eco-friendly position. So, so they really used Jingle Ball as a platform to promote that part of their business. And we did that together with them. And, and that's just a couple of stories how we've been working with marketers to adjust. That's very interesting. So if, you're, if your listenership is back or, you know, depending on how you measure almost as much or even maybe more than it was before, but you have more digital, then you talked, I think, at one point about kind of the addressability of that, the ability to segment the audiences more. Are you finding that that benefits you because you're actually able to get a higher CPM for those listeners because you are able to more effectively target the advertising? Yeah, there has a lot, there's a lot that has happened uh, in our industry in terms of targeting. Yes, we still have the old one-to-many model from, on the broadcast signal. But I would even argue there that the listener actually doesn't experience it that way. I think the way most people experience radio is not like they uh, experience TV. I think when you watch a TV show, you know there's many other people that watch that show at the same time. That's just a given, right? I think the way people experience radio is that it's, it's almost like a phone call. It feels much more one-to-one than one-to-many. And that's even on, on our broadcast signal. So there is that. On the digital audio side, we can target in all different types of ways because we have all this data from those 143 plus million registered users. So we can be very granular here. But then there is something in between that I want to mention, and that's called smart audio. And what smart audio does is it combines the targetability of digital with the scale of broadcast. And the way that works is that we, we used our first party data from our digital products mm-hmm. uh, and created 700 plus cohorts, like uh, home buyers or uh, quick restaurant customers or um, people that look for a mortgage, like, like really very narrowly defined cohorts. Yeah. And then we use those cohorts to plan broadcast campaigns. And because of that data, our clients can build smarter, hence the word smart audio, can build smarter schedules and smarter campaigns. We can even use their first data. If they have data on their own, we can use their own data and use it to build smarter broadcast schedules for them. It's still one too many, but it's a much smarter approach on how to plan a, uh, a broadcast campaign. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit like if you go on Facebook and be able to target people similar yeah. ways. Yeah, that's um, yeah. So I, I would assume that like Facebook and Google, that that means you can wind up collecting a lot more revenue for an individual listener because you're able to, uh, you know, the old 
the old adage that, you know, half of advertising, half of marketing is wasted and you just don't know which half seems to be coming less true, right? As you're able to figure out how to not sell, uh, you know, bras and tampons to men, you know, and make sure that you're just really targeting the right product or the right message to the right customer. But, you know, since you mentioned the, uh, the CPNs, I think I do need to mention that we are a very efficient medium in general, not just iron, like in general, our industry is very efficient. And I think we are at a point where many marketers are looking at their budgets right now for next year and are thinking, I need to find some savings. My budgets have been cut by corporate, whatever it might be. So what do I do now? And I think uh, audio is a space to absolutely look at because it is very efficient, much, much more efficient than TV. Usually three to one is what we're looking at, like a much, much lower CPM than, than TV. And you know, there's many studies that say audio and, and TV in terms of effectiveness is actually at the same level. So in terms of ROI, that would translate into a much more effective campaign as well. That's really interesting. Do you have any data like that that would compare it to social media advertising, like a Facebook ads or YouTube ads, that sort of thing? You know, the only data point I have uh, that I can give you is that um, radio is twice as trustworthy as social media because we do track that as well. We have millions and millions of social media followers when you bring all the followers of our radio brands and on your personalities together. So it's a big space for us as well. But, you know, brand safety issues on social media, we struggle as much with as, uh, as many others when we uh, use it as a, as a tactic to market. Um, there's this new statement, uh, Mark Pritchard from, from Procter & Gamble said a couple of months ago, and it was social media is 5% of my spending and 150% of my problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but but we, we are big in that space as well. So we have over 200 million followers on social media overall. Well, of course, the beauty of social media is the amazing addressability. But I, I hear you challenges as well. And that's fascinating. So you're saying the same creative, because you mentioned earlier, the personality component. And I want to shift into that because I think that's powerful. And certainly one thing that I'm observing in lots of work we're doing with many of our clients around marketing is the power of personality and how important that it's probably always been true, but it certainly seems very true today. People have become more and more and more cynical about brands. I, I don't know that they, there was probably always a certain level of cynicism, but that cynicism is just off the charts. And yet there's people, and of course, certain personalities people are also cynical about, but the potential to really get trust from people around a personality, an individual, someone who they feel they know who this person is, seems to be much easier than to get them to trust Clorox, you know, or a trust, you know, an apparel brand or whatever it may be. And so um, it sounds like that's part of the, the podcasting value proposition, as well as the radio and all of these value propositions that are personality driven. So I guess two part question, one correlates to what you said earlier. Are you saying that increased radio trustworthiness is true, even when the creative is independent of the radio personality? Or is that more about the association of radio personality? Because I'm sure it's more trustworthy when it's connected to the radio personality. But if you could just touch on that, and then I'd love to hear more about your thoughts about this issue of the power of endorsement or association with these companions that radio or other audio media are providing. So it, go back, it goes back to what I mentioned earlier, that our on-air personalities are really looked at as the best friends, especially right now, during these times, right? Everyone is in, in need for, for some uh, companionship. So they just trust them. And the reality is, if you listen to a radio show on a particular day, you most likely listen to the same show the next day and the day after. If you wake up to, if Elvis Duran is your favorite morning show host, most likely you listen to, to that show every day when you get up, and usually at the same time too. So there's this relationship, and there is this story that Elvis Duran actually tells uh, that always resonated with me, because they don't look at themselves as stars. 
they look at, at themselves as friends to their audience, not as celebrities. And um, and he says when, you know, once in a while he's out with a celebrity, let's say a movie star or a TV anchor or something, right? And a, and a fan comes up to them, they will they will ask the uh, the movie star for a picture and then they will turn to him and say, hey, how's your cold? I heard you had a cold because they were listening to him and he was talking about his cold on the air that morning. That's the type of relationship that they have. You know, when when you think about it, because you talked about the cynicism a little bit in marketing, when you look at car commercials or even movie trailers, they all look good. Like the, the car always looks perfect. Right. Um, and for the movie trailer, they pick the best scenes in, in those 30 seconds. That's probably not that hard. <laughs> so they always look good. And that's why people kind of have caught up to that. They, they realize, okay, that's, that alone will not do it. What will do it is if somebody actually talks about that movie or right. talks about that car. And if a personality is actually on the air saying to his or her audience, I watched that movie last night and this is what I liked about it and I can highly recommend it. That's the, the conversation part. I think that we can, we and, and, and the audio world in general can bring to the table. And I do think that translates, by the way, to commercials that are not read by on-air personalities, because it is that space that we are providing where people are looking for stories and storytelling and conversations. And if that conversation is provided uh, by the marketer themselves, I think can be uh, very effective. There is research out there, though, that shows that on-air endorsements, live reads are up to twice as effective as a, a straightforward uh, produced commercial. But there is different strategies to it, too. Like right now on the New York radio stations, there are a couple of campaigns running that are actually voiced by the owner of the company. Stu Leonard, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know wine, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so Stu Leonard himself is voicing his ad campaign right now. I think it's very authentic. They really did a good job the way they produced it. So it doesn't sound scripted at all. It comes across in a, in a, in a re really natural way. And the second one is Tito's Vodka also running right now, where Tito himself is talking about how he started the business, why he even started a vodka brand. And again, very, very authentic. And it's a story that's being told. And that's why it works. Fascinating. And then let's talk a little about podcasts, because I think that even shifts to that kind of overlaps with this topic, but also obviously a whole new medium. You guys have seen just unbelievable growth in your podcast business over the last mm -hmm. few years. Can you give a little sketch of like what iHeart's role been in the podcasting space? And I know now it's grown to be enormous. And how do you view that business? And how is it similar to or different from the broadcasting business? Okay, let's start with how it's different. So first of all, it's a natural extension, but here's how it's different, I think. And I'll give you an analogy. Radio is like going to a dinner party and you hang out with different people and you talk to them. And let's say you're in the living room and you're mingling. And then you say to somebody, I says, hey, I got to talk to you about something. Let's go into the kitchen. That's podcasting. <laughs> That's about something very specific, mm -hmm. uh, usually with a little bit of a smaller audience, but much more targeted. And, and again, a natural extension of what we have been doing. iHeart got into podcasting really in a big way two years ago, which was before that M&A frenzy in that space happened because there, that has been going on for the past really 18 months. But I was in there earlier to um, Bob Pittman and, and, and Rich Bressler's credit. They purchased a company called uh, Stuff Media that at that point had 5 million monthly unique users. And the strategy from the beginning was, let's use our broadcast assets 
to make these podcasts popular and then build on the uh, slate of podcasts they already had. And within two years, because of that promotional power that our, broad, our 850 broadcast stations provide, that 5 million number grew to 27 million unique users a month, 255 million downloads a month, adding podcasts in all different genres and categories. We just announced uh, the Black Effect Network with Charlemagne the God, which is a whole diversity-focused series of, of podcasts. Shonda Rhimes, Hillary Clinton, Alec Baldwin, Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, so really, really big names. Uh, because one thing that the uh, pandemic actually resulted in was that many creators actually thought about, okay, how can I do more? And I think podcast was one of those outlets that they looked at and said, you know what? I can be creative. It's a very flexible medium. I don't have scripts that I need to follow when I'm, uh, let's say, uh, Will Ferrell on, on, on site, but you have to be very uh, at a movie shoot, very stick to your script and, and instructions by the director. On a podcast side, you can do whatever he wants. So it's a very creator-friendly uh, medium. And then we just provide the uh, promotional power to make sure that people find out about those podcasts because you got over a million podcasts, yours being one of them. So it's, it's, really, it's really hard to create a podcast hit these days. Yeah. And one of the reasons these creators come to iHeart is that they want access to that promotional rocket ship, really, that we can, we can offer them and the exposure. That's an amazing example where the, the more analog legacy business is really then that rocket ship for the digital and finding the way to use that. Not that that's not still also a great business. It sounds like you're really continuing to make that a great business. But well, it's, it's one of it's one of our core arguments when we talk to marketers. Those 143 million registered users for the iHeartRadio app, the iHeartRadio app was never promoted anywhere else but our radio stations. Right. So obviously it works. The entire brand awareness that was built and and the call to action to download it was exclusively due to what we did on our broadcast signals. You you eat your own dog food. <laughs> Exactly, yeah, hundred percent. And and now let me ask you about business models because some of the names that you're you're listing off there. First of all, that's super impressive, and I'm all of a sudden thinking, oh, I want to check out some of those podcasts. But I'm also guessing that you probably can't tell us how much you had to pay some of those people, but that you also had to pay them quite a lot of money to get them with iHeart. And then I'm wondering, I know I'm seeing a kind of a different business models out there, some of which are more exclusive subscription-based podcasts, usually tied into a larger subscription, of course, to a service. But do you feel, is that a direction that you guys imagine you might be going? Or do you see that when you have this extremely premium content, that that's part of the future of podcasting? Or, or how do you view the ad versus subscription model? Or is there even another model that folks should be thinking about? It's a great question. I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, there really are two different podcast strategies or, or even podcast audiences or podcast approaches right now. One is the subscription model, like Spotify. Mm -hmm. So let's say they would sign Joe Rogan, a big name, big podcast, many followers. They move his podcast on Spotify. And at that point, you can only listen to it on Spotify. So that's the subscription model. It's not, in our opinion, very creator-friendly because you kind of limit the audience. They have to pay for it, or at least the majority will have to pay for it. So you, you limit the audience. So that's not great for the creator. It's not great for um, the audience itself because they might have to pay for it to get a subscription. And... Um, it might not be great for brands that want to be involved with that particular podcast because it, there's a limited audience. So our model is really an audience model. And our strategy has been to really push out the podcasts to as many platforms as possible. 
And that means that all the ones that I just mentioned, you can absolutely get on Spotify. You can get them on Stitcher. You can get them on all the podcast platforms out there. But as a marketer, when you work with us, your ad, your announcement, your, your host read will travel. Uh, so it doesn't matter if it's an iHeart published podcast. It doesn't matter if you hear it on the iHeart radio app or if you hear it on Spotify, the ad will go with it and uh, you will hear the ad everywhere. Right. We, we just think that's the, the better model. But listen, different strategies. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, um, I, I can see the benefit of that. At the same time, you lose any addressability. In other words, everyone's going to hear the same ad. You can't target the ads because you don't control the distribution platforms. Or, or is there a way? Well, to- we, we, we absolutely can't. No, we, we are. If I listen to Hillary Clinton's podcast that you guys are distributing on Apple Podcasts or through Spotify, you can still target yeah. the ad to me. Yeah. That's fantastic. How is that possible? Don't ask me. <laughs> well, that's I'm, amazing. I'm at the curtain. Um, if you if you can have your cake and eat it too, then that sounds that sounds perfect. That's amazing. There's a lot of progress being made in the targeting side with podcasts too. When you look back, even 12 months ago, uh, many things were not possible that are possible now. And, and then the other thing with podcasting, which we haven't even uh, touched on, is it is a very effective medium for marketers when it comes to um, ROI and call to action. In terms of direct response medium, all the data that we have shows that marketers are getting uh, what they are looking for. Like they are, they are getting the results. And I imagine that ties back to that personality thing you were talking about before and that trust. Is that, is that or is there a different reason or do you think that's the core reason? Um, I think there's a, a many different factors to play with it. The, I mean, Markham Gladwell, for example, feels mm-hmm. that he made the joke the other day, we had this event for clients, and he made the joke that he thinks the ads that he's reading are actually better than the content of the podcast he's putting on. Okay. Uh, so, so yes, there definitely is that element to it. I think there is the fact that these are really hardcore fans of the podcast. If you tune in again, you're going to the kitchen, there's something very intimate. You're talking about something very specific. There's a reason why you chose this one particular podcast out of a million podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a very much of a, a lenient factor that, that plays a role. You really pay attention. And thirdly, we know this because we can see how often people skip an ad on a podcast. Nine out of 10 don't. They listen through the entire thing. And that obviously is very, uh, very important. Yeah, that's great. Well, I know we're very close. In fact, we're over our, our target time, but I just want to ask you one final question about live events, which we have. You touched on Jingle Ball briefly. I don't know if everybody listening knows what Jingle Ball is or not. Maybe so. But obviously, live events, live music concerts has been a big part of your company. Clearly, that you know has been decimated. We work a lot with live events, live sports, and it's been so challenging these last year. What do you think in terms of the future? I mean, on the one hand, I assume everyone can't wait to get back to live music concerts, myself included. What have you learned about the substitutes you've done, having just done the virtual Jingle Ball? Do you think that that's just a temporary stopgap and that's an area where the changes that we've made for COVID will just be forgotten about and we'll go back to the way it was? Or have we learned something new about virtual events as a new kind of medium that may persist? What we learned is that people like it much, much more than we ever thought and that they're not getting tired of it either. I think um, as a result, it's not going to go away. Will there be live shows? Of course. But will all the virtual shows absolutely go away? 100% not. I think it's going to be some type of mix. There's different business models around it. This one has nothing to do with iHeart, but I'm not sure if you know this uh, Korean boy band, uh, BTS. Your kids probably do. Yeah, they're in the next year. I can uh, go ask my daughter. They <laughs> just did a uh, live show for 1 million people virtually. 
Wow. And they charged for it. And just think about this, like how many concerts they would have to give, how much travel they would have to do over many, many months to actually perform in front of a million people, right? And this is one show. So it completely changes the way people look at things. But what we learned is that, let's say our iHeartRadio Music Festival, we usually have 15,000, I think 15, 17,000 people actually in Vegas in the venue. And then we have it on the radio. You can look at it on TV eventually. You can look at it on the Art Radio app. So even in the past, way more people were exposed to that live content outside of that venue because we had already provided that. So that was just a small portion overall. What we found is that because of COVID and because of what's going on, that usage has completely spiked. Like about 25% more streams than last year on that iHeartRadio Music Festival. And that's something we, we learned from as well. There's a lot more social sharing going on, like all the content around the concert. There was much more engagement than there ever has been. So we will definitely learn from that and see how we can apply it going forward when we are going back to live shows. Yeah, fascinating. And, uh, you know, I think I mentioned to you, I've been involved a lot with the Tony Robbins events, which we just did a big one, not a million people, but 5,000 people, ticket price of something like $4,000 for a six-day event. And he had, like I say, a sold-out event. So it's it's amazing. And, and to see people stick with something when you're on your sixth day, your 14th hour of your sixth day of an event, and people are still there, you know, fully engaged, fully participating, it shows you that this is a new medium that has tremendous, tremendous potential. I think it's super. I won't lie, though. The uh, Jingle Ball, which was last uh, Thursday, mm-hmm. which usually is the culmination of, I don't know, a few weeks of five, six hours of sleep maximum and, and a lot of long days of work and setting up and then being on site all night long. I actually never really saw a Jingle Ball performance because you're just running around and, and trying to do things. Mm-hmm. Last Thursday, virtual Jingle Ball was the first time I was at my apartment uh, in my, on my couch with a beer in my hand and I was watching the show. It was a completely different experience for me as well. Yeah. So that, that I did not mind. Amazing. Well, listen, that's the blessing of COVID, right? It's forced us all to try some different new things and some of them turn out to be different than we thought, better than we thought. Well, Bernie, this has been fantastic. We've covered a lot of ground from podcasts to radio to live events and just to hear everything that you guys are doing and all the insights you have about this is fantastic. You may have inspired some people here to either go check out those uh, Malcolm Gladwell or Hillary Clinton podcasts or be interested in uh, radio or podcasts or other things that you guys do as an advertising or marketing or communications medium. Is there anything you want to offer people in terms of where they should go or to learn more if they want to take a next step? I think you go to the iHeartRadio app, you download it. It really takes you to um, all of our offerings. You can listen to the live stations like the Z100. You can listen to podcasts. You can create your own radio station. If you want the Billy Joel station, you can do that there as well. So that's really the, I guess, the, uh, the base platform to access most of our offerings. That would make the most sense. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Bernie. This has been fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks to all of you for listening. Remember, if you're not a subscriber, to subscribe to the podcast so you can hear more awesome sessions like this one. Thanks for listening and uh, have an awesome day, everyone. Bye.